welcome to episode number five of the J Bunny's Music Hub podcast. I'm your host, J Bunny. Sorry it's been a little while, guys. It's been a few weeks since the last episode, but like I said, there's no real schedule for these. They they get done when they get done, but I think that this one is a pretty big one here. I went uh, this past Saturday to the Stanhope House once again uh, to see 40 Below Summer. So while I was there, I interviewed... Uh, Max and Joey, who've been, who at this point are the only original members still in the band, um, asked them about their time, not just in 40 Below Summer, but their other projects that they've done uh, in between, and uh, where 40's going, where they've been, where the name has come from. You'll hear all that momentarily. Now, it was a big, noisy, well, it wasn't a big room, but it was a noisy room, and there was a lot of people there, so... You're going to hear a little bit of background, you're going to hear sounds coming from downstairs and uh, other people that were in the room talking and stuff, but uh, I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. So without further ado, here's Max and Joey. All right, what's up? It's Jay Bunny. I'm here again at the Stanhope House. This time I'm here with uh, Max Illich and Joey D'Amico from 40 Below Summer. What's going on, guys? All right, what's up? I'm fucking How you doing? Too, I'm Hello. Uh, oh, Derek and Anthony are over there. It's, we got a room full of people, actually. What's going on, everybody? Hey. So. <laughs> All right. So uh, I first heard about you guys back when I was in high school, uh, when my friend Kevin saw you guys on the Jägermeister tour uh, with uh, Drowning Pool, Cold Chamber, and El Nino. But I never actually. I didn't see you guys or, or even hear any of your music until probably 2004 when some random girl in front of the Hooters in Wayne was blasting 40 Below as she was picking up her food. And I was like, who is that band? They sound awesome. So, oh, it's 40 Below Summer. Um, and I never actually saw you guys, despite the fact that you guys see me around all the time now, I, I never actually saw you guys live until after you had already split up that first time. And, and we're playing the shows for the uh, the Last Dance release. Hmm. Um, so I'm not really super familiar with, with sort of that era, except what Wikipedia tells me. And what Wikipedia tells me is you guys had a pretty tumultuous sort of relationship with record labels at that in that initial, you know, you guys kind of labels breaking, uh, labels going out of business and whatnot. And so I was just wondering if you guys could sort of... Uh, Sort of tell me how, how, from your perspective, dealing with those label issues were in that initial era of the band. Um, <laughs> well, essentially, we signed a record deal in 2001 with London Sire and uh, in March. Uh, and we went to make the record right away. Finished the album in June. Uh, we were home for a little bit. We started touring in, in July. The record was slated to come out in October. It came out. Um, it was doing quite well uh, in the beginning. And then a little after Thanksgiving, I think it was, or maybe a little before Thanksgiving, we basically got a phone call from our management saying that, uh, go home, uh, London Sire, uh, Warner Brothers is pulling the plug on London Sire. Uh, you don't have a label really anymore. But it was even more tumultuous than that because technically Warner Brothers still owned our contract and they really didn't even know who we were. So we were kind of stuck in limbo for several months. Um, 
maybe even almost a year. And yeah, it really uh, kind of drained, you know, whatever life that album had. Uh, I mean, we tried to keep touring. You know, we got our own van and, you know, we, we were able to get on some tours, but, you know, it was, it was very difficult. You know, I mean, you, you sign a big deal, you make a great record, the record gets released, it starts doing well, and then literally less than three months after the record comes out, you know, Warner Brothers pulls the plug on a, on a subdivision label of Warner Brothers, London Sire, that had been around for over 50 years, so it was definitely pretty shocking. And then you're in a van down by the river. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how much more I can really elaborate on that. Aside from the fact that it it kind of crushed me, you know, I can't I can't speak for everybody else in the band, but right. it crushed everybody to to have this dream realized in the form of you know record contract, making a record in California with like one of the biggest producers for metal back then, uh, Goo Garth Richardson, you know? right. And, and all this great shit happening, and then, like he said, three months later, fam, reality comes back and smacks you in the face. Well, it wasn't even really three months later. I mean, three months is the day that, that yeah, they shut the whatever. doors, but they told us literally like six weeks after the record was out. They it, told us, yeah, January sucked. 1st, they're folding London Sire, so it, we're just like, no. It sucked. It, it was really shitty. Technically, we're a local band again. Right, well, didn't you guys have some trouble with the next label after that, too, though? Didn't you guys sign with Reprise Razor or something? Well, no, no, Reprise was part of the Warner Brothers chain. Well, it was Warner Reprise, and there was basically half and half. We had the choice, essentially, because um, we did, they did have an A&R guy that was trying to, you know, give us a, a, a little bit of a push over there, but, you know, again, nobody there knew who we were. Yeah, we tried to strike up a relationship with the label people because that's half the battle. Right. And they know, just you, you have to have something of a, somewhat of a personal connection with people. And we did at London Sire. Like we felt the love. They believed yeah, they were in good us. people. They were good people. They, you know, they believed in us. They were working the record how they were supposed to. So we didn't feel the love at reprises. It was like I mean, no real connection. There wasn't any connection. But here's the thing. Essentially what a, re a record label is is a bank. That's really what they are, yeah, and you're exactly you're you're borrowing money from the bank, and you have to pay them back. Now, Warner Brothers, London Sire was the label, but Warner Brothers was their bank. They owned the label; they were the distributor, but London Sire operated independently. And but you know, when the bank says no more money for you, that's it; you're shut down. That's basically what happened. So we, you know, tried to strike up a relationship with Reprise, and you know, make a long story short, it just didn't really work. No. Right. Um, so then we begged to get released yeah, from we our could, contract. Which please, took months and months and months and months. So contract. we could try to shop another deal. Um, and, you know, eventually we did. But, but, you know, by that point, you know, it was well over a year later. And um, we shopped. And, uh, I mean, there was interest from multiple labels, but it wasn't like the first time around. Um, no, because once you're signed and something happens... Regardless of whatever it is, no matter what the circumstances, they don't are. give a shit. They're all they're looking at is numbers, so all they exactly. know is you failed. They, right. don't, they don't give a fuck. Exactly, about this the is a bad. It doesn't matter that that our label folded three months after the record came out. They just look at okay, here's a band that was given a, a, almost a million dollars, and the record only sold sixty thousand units at the time. That's it, failure. Right. So 
one label was interested in signing. I mean, like I said, there were a few, but they were some smaller deals, smaller labels. And then, you know, the best and most professional seeming on paper deal that came across was Razor and Tie. So we signed to do our second record with Razor and Tie, and that was a disaster as well because, I mean, this is a label that, I mean, they make all their money releasing Kids Bop and, and <laughs> Rasta Jams and Love Ballads. There's no, still, Kids Bop, yeah. they still do Kids Bop. That's where they make all their, what, you think they make their money off all that remains? No, it should, they make their money off should, of Kids Bop. It should also be noted that we had a new manager at this point. Our management situation also went fucking south. Well, our first manager was No Name Management, and they had Slipknot, they had Mudvayne, they had Hatebreed, they had, you know, all these big bands. American Head Charge. American Head Charge. Motograder. Motograder was later. Motograder was later. Yeah, that also... Yeah. Motograder was on their label. That also went south. Right. Uh, Well, listen, Steve Richards ended up passing away, but... Later. later on but he was listen he basically you know, ripping off he all was, the yeah, bands he was, that he, he was, was managing a, he was a crook yeah so as soon as we saw everybody jumping ship we had and we, why we were like okay we, yeah, we had yeah, to leave time to go. Right. so then we signed with a new management company it was called Crush Management and the guy was actually a friend of ours his name was Bob McLean Bob McLean and he was formerly of the Step Kings he played bass for a, <laughs> for a local band from here called the Step Kings they signed a deal to Roadrunner the record didn't do much and they they I believe were dropped within a year. Um, uh, they're a good band, and Bob was a great guy. And yeah. um, he worked for you know a company, you know, with two other reputable managers. Um, one of the guys used to manage the Cure, and uh, so we were like let's sign with these guys because you know we get a, a good feeling from them because they're honest. You know, they seem you know we knew, we knew we could trust Bob for sure. Yeah, exactly for sure. So we. Um, <laughs> We signed with them. They got us this deal with Razor and Tie, and that was kind of a disaster too because Razor and Tie just really had no clue as to what they were doing. Um, they had no idea how to break a band, but they had money. We we didn't have any fucking clue what we were doing either. If it's not already readily apparent, you know, we were early twenties and just had no clue about. The no, right? Then we were in our late twenties. Yeah. Well, when we first started out, it was just it's a it's a learning process. No, we had we had a clue. We just you yeah, know, we had a clue. Not, not very many though. <laughs> Max yeah. and Jordan were actually the most business oriented guys in the band at the time. You know what I mean? So Right. And 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 from there, like I said, it was just it was kind of a nightmare of how things were working because they kept trying to literally shortchange us at every turn we made. Like, we need our tour support. Nope, nope, wait, you know, I was always late, it was always this, it was always that. And then at the end we need more record ship. No, uh, yeah, they wouldn't ship our uh, records. They wouldn't like. It was just really bad. Like, you know, and and you know, I like I said, you know, I remember when we were negotiating the deal. I had said to Bob, at the time, you know, Bob McClinn, the manager, our manager, we need to have certain provisions in the contract. I don't care about the money as much, you know, because we were asking for a certain amount of money and they only came to about 80%, 85% of what we were asking. Um, and, you know, we had to make a decision to take the deal, the numbers, but I said, Bob, you have to have certain provisions in the contract. You have to have a provision that they ship X amount of units first week. You have to have, you know, provisions that they do certain things, you know. They did. And they did none of it. And Bob, like, you know, just didn't, again, Bob was green. He was a nice guy. He, he, he worked hard. And he, he was honest, but he was very green. At the time. At the time. Because 
also should be noted is that Bob McClinton ended up being like manager of the decade. Well, this came. Well, this came later. later this on, came later. Later on. So, so this, 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 just, this will just really, really will surmise Forty Below Summer's fucking terrible luck. But we never um, had luck on our side for sure. Mm-mm. So we're having all these problems. Um, you know, aside from the fact that you know, on the first record, you know. We had tours canceled due to fucking all sorts of shit. 9-11, you know, uh, uh, happened right in the middle of our Mudvayne tour. Like, we had a Slipknot tour that got canceled, you know, because someone's wife got sick, you know, like, in the band. And, like, all this terrible stuff kept happening to us. So on the second album, at least we're getting the tours. The label's not really doing their job, but at least, you know, um, our agent... And Bob were getting us on some tours, you know, we went out with Kitty, we went out with Mushroomhead, we went out with El Nino and Spineshank, we went out with El Nino and Flaw, we did get some Slipknot dates, you know, and we ran straight through for almost a year, we toured straight, it was cool. And um, when we finished the run, like, our, you know, the last of the support runs, um, do a headlining run, we were just, you know, burnt out. The second record, like, they were literally, purposely, uh, uh, Razor and Tie tanking our second record because if it hit a certain amount of records, they had to pay us this big bonus. Don't you remember? Like, they had to pay us $50,000 bonus. They didn't want to pay us the $50,000 bonus, so, so they, they literally just, so stopped they, shipping yeah, the album. they just stopped shipping records. Fuck. Even though it was in the contract that they were supposed to ship a certain amount of copies if we had already sold a certain amount of units, which right, we right. did, and they didn't want to live up right. to that. And Bob, I remember Bob. Hector harassing that dude from Razor and Tie. At the yeah, Milo. In the but city. Milo quit literally a week later yeah. because he couldn't get the label to do anything. Yeah. You know, Milo was the guy who was really wanted to, you know, he, he was the guy who signed it. He said, listen, if you guys listen to me, this band will sell 250,000 records, I promise you. And the label did nothing that he said. All right, we need to let him ask another no, question. That's all right. Well, no, I just want you know finish out finishing out the cycle though. Like we, you know, we. Um, you might not need to ask any more questions. We got it all. <laughs> we ended up par- parting ways with Bob stupidly, uh, and mm-hmm. uh, about two years later, no, not even one year later, this band that Bob was managing started to take off. They were called Fallout Boy. Oh wow. <laughs> Yeah. And then after Fallout Boy, it's like Bob reeled out hit band after hit band. Panic. Fallout Boy, Panic at the Disco, and Gym Class Heroes, one after another. Bang, bang, bang. So Three the, best new artists in a row, and so he was what, Polestar's manager of the year So in what the fuck did we do wrong? <laughs> so and literally, we fire this guy, and less than a year later, he becomes a multi-millionaire. I was going to tell you, I saw him in Rolling Stone, and he has somebody... Uh, Little uh, lady named Lord now. That is. Oh, yeah, the girl. Oh, he's managing Lord. Lord? Oh, fuck Are you out serious? Holy shit! Wow. Bob McClinn is a fucking just dude, and we fired this guy. <laughs> Mark, we fired him in 2004. I think Lord is a little bit more popular. Well, actually, we didn't really fire him. It was all like a mutual party of the ways, but we were like constantly like berating him towards the end. And I felt bad because he's a good, he was a good guy and he was working hard and he was trying. At the time, he just didn't have any juice. And to be honest, like we were in a position where the music industry was starting to change. Right. Like the the Deftones and the Seven Dusts and those types of bands were sort of fading, and the Killswitch Engages, the Lamb of Gods, those bands were now pushing the new movement of metal. So we were <laughs> like, 
we were on this sinking ship. <laughs> you know? And Bob's there with us, you know, like, and... and See, we should have become an emo band. <laughs> oh, yeah. We would have done really well. Put a little eye makeup on, tighten up our jeans, get some fucking shoes that aren't, you know, made in a sweatshop. We're all set. <laughs> and yeah, so, so that's basically what happened. And then... Um, How many nights did you guys shout yourselves to sleep? Uh, no, it's okay. It was, you know, it was on all sorts of prescription drugs. Like nice. <laughs> but, um... That was just a drunk bag. Yeah. All right. Next question. So, well, so the next, so the next question, which, which maybe, maybe I should have asked first, but uh, I've always wondered where did the name come? Like, who came up with the name, and what does it mean? I initially I wasn't really sure what it meant. It just sounded cool, and you know, I thought it. I guess the way we would describe it back then would be a study in contradictions: the light and the dark, the yin and the yang, the hot and the cold. You know, the. You know the sometimes drastically shifting tempos that you know we have and, and emotions that are put into our music. Well, tell, tell them the names we had before for you all summer. Oh Jesus, there's some bad. Well, the the ones that were actually that we used were mint green pimp machine. Uh, j- uh, Six degrees of degradation. Really? <laughs> we played one show under oh, that that's name. Terrible. <laughs> we didn't use Kerrigan's knee. No, we didn't. Use <laughs> or Sandy Duncan's eye. No. <laughs> Urethra Franklin. <laughs> that was one of them. I think we even did one show also under Urethra Franklin. <laughs> we, did. we did. I think it was at Images. Yes, at Images. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> was, easy one. Who was I that It was bad, yeah. <laughs> it was bad. I, I liked Kerrigan's knee. We never played any... We didn't like... That was just a suggestion. We never actually said, yeah, let's call the band that. <laughs> oh, man. So, so in 2006, after some lineup changes, you guys decided to, to rebrand as Black Market Hero. What... what it fueled that decision to change the band name. Well, it wasn't even a rebranding. It was, and it wasn't changing a band name. But it was a different band. Okay. Um, yeah, a lot of people are confused about that. Well, that's that. so that's what I get. Because that's what was, I get for reading Wikipedia because well, Wikipedia said of, that like you guys changed the lineup and then yeah. well, you played a couple shows as Forty and then decided to change. That's the name. essentially no, no, no. what happened. Well, that's kind of what happened. But what we did was we wrote. We just wrote like How Long and Hate Mail really, and we did that demo, you know, with with How Long and Hate Mail. Yeah. And, and, re- and, and, and Relapse and, and Tell Me Now. And it was like, Relapse and Tell Me Now were like kind of like classic, older, you know, but more melodic style 40 Below songs. And How Long and Hate Mail were different. They were thrashier, more aggressive. Um, so what ended up happening was, while we were, you know, shifting, you know, to this new band, we were still sort of playing shows as 40 Below Summer, but now with a new drummer, a new bass player, and we had sort of a little bit of a revolving door in the beginning of drummers and bass players. And we didn't have a band name. And um, it wasn't until like, you know, a few months, and then we found Ryan Jers, uh, who played bass in Flaw, but he also plays guitar. And he was a good guitar player, so, and he had some really cool ideas, and one of the first, like, real, in my opinion, black market hero songs was this song that he wrote called Worship. 
Um, he wrote the guitar riff and I came up with vocals to it. It was just awesome. It was like Lamb of God meets Pantera. It was just different from what 40 Below did. More metal. And we dug it. And it sort of like paved the way for, you know, some new songs. And it inspired Joey and myself to write some new songs and change, you know, direction here, going to more thrashy, you know. Yeah, we weren't sure exactly what we were going to do. We did play a couple of shows under 40 with, like he said, a different drummer. But and, it wasn't and, Ryan. And, no, he played that CBGB's gig with us. Mm. It was Ryan, Hector, and Ali. Oh, that's right. And we were still playing under 40 Will Summer. We were just kind of like confused, like playing old 40 songs and playing some of these new ideas we had. And but we didn't have worship yet. We didn't have any no, other songs yet. yet. It, we it, just, it, we, we played like, we played like three or four like older 40 songs and then a couple of newer ones and we played it as 40 Below. And How Long and Hate Mail were released as 40 Below songs, right. but, you know. <laughs> People still were unclear as to which yeah. band they should land those two songs with. But then eventually Hector left, actually very quickly Hector left. Um, he didn't... Um, that was when his ears were truly messed up. Yeah, he, he didn't stay for the band for more than three months. He had to take and so break. it was just me and Joey, so we were like, you know, let's make this as different from 40 Below still, but you know, by, while was, still being metal. It was me metal. and Ryan, because yeah. Ali was whatever, and, and then Hector left, and so it was the three of us, and that's when he and, and, Micah. And, 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 yeah, Micah, but well, the plan was for Micah to come up almost right away, um, but he just couldn't. Like, it took him a couple of months to get up here, because he lived in Milwaukee, he was trying to sell his house, and all sorts of stuff going on. But eventually he came up, and, uh, you know, you know. That's when it really became Black Market yeah. Hero, when we had Micah, Ryan, myself, Max, and we were bass player searching. Yeah, we had a couple of different bass players. We interviewed players. a couple of people for, for about a, for about a year. We had a couple. We had a couple of these guys play shows. We had this one guy, uh, Redbeard, who was in the band for about three, four months. Yeah, he was great. He was great, but he just lived too far away. Too far. And mm -hmm. um, he was commuting like five hours to come you know, to rehearsal. Like, but he, you know, he would come in, and we would do. We, we would try to do like a back to back two night, like you know, the Wednesday, Thursday, or something. He would come in and sleep over and whoever's house not the studio he slept at the studio oh, yeah, <laughs> the studio that's right with Micah <laughs> and then that, that, that you know that was it and then, but then we found this guy named Matt um, maybe about eight nine months into the band and yeah it was just it was you know different again it wasn't we weren't like trying to go metalcore like everybody else we were just writing you know more thrashy stuff me and right. Max always wanted 40 Below to go heavier so to us it was a very natural progression like you know what I mean the yeah. morning after was a big compromise for all of us okay yeah so the first time I ever saw you guys play live was with that band was with Black Market Hero at Starland uh, and I saw you guys there a few times before the band kind of dissolved like what what happened to that band uh well it was just really <laughs> hard trying to pin certain members of the band down to basically just finish their damn parts. Write right. their damn parts. We had a bunch of songs written, and we recorded a, a couple of demos, one of which sounded Well, really Ryan had left from, from Flaw also, and then we got this guy who's blown up now. He's yeah, Angel. Now, Angel Lobby. Uh, he was this nobody, 22-year-old <laughs> kid at the time, and he said, you know... Yeah, a, you know, a, a, a video message to us on on MySpace. This was you know back in two thousand eight yeah, yeah. and, and two thousand seven or two thousand eight, and he was like, "I heard you're looking for a guitar player. I think I'm the guy for you." Blah blah blah. This and that. And then we see this video of him like sweeping, <laughs> sweeping. And he was good with a broom. He was really good with. <laughs> he could sweep a floor like nobody else. Yeah, uh, he was. He was doing the sweep picking. 
Well, the thing is, Angel came in, we wrote a bunch of songs with him, and we recorded a great demo, which a lot of people heard. And we had all these other demos that just never really got developed fully and finished. And the plan was to make a record. The plan was to do a full length. Certain people just couldn't fucking nail down their parts. They were too nitpicky. You know who you are, nigga? (laughs) Well, that, that sort of brings me into my next question, is that you guys have been working on the album when Black Market split, and it's never been released. Now, it, it's on the internet. Yeah. Um, well, there's songs on the internet. Various but, songs. Right. But but a lot of those weren't going to make the record. Yeah. Only so, about three or four of the songs that are on the internet were going to make that record. Yeah, exactly. We had more than two albums worth of material. Okay. Well, what I was going to ask is, have you guys ever considered trying... I mean, I know you're not that band anymore, and obviously 40 Below is your focus, but have you ever considered finishing those songs no. and putting them out? Not really, because... Because what, the, what, those guys, those, there's certain guys in the band that won't finish their It's parts. not even that. What 40 Below has now become is what we always really wanted it to be from after Invitation. You know okay. what I mean? Well, so 40 Below is still... All this stuff we did with Black Market Hero, that's the direction we wanted to go in. So now we kind of took that older 40 sound, the more melodic sound, and that thrashier, riff-centric sound that we liked with Black Market Hero. And that is what 40 Below is now. Okay, fair enough. But so I mean, That's what I think it is. Yeah. Well, sort of. 40 Blows are more dynamic band than Black Market Hero was. Well, yeah, but we took a lot of those elements that we liked with Black Market Hero with us. <laughs> well, on Fire Zero Gravity, yeah. yeah. But I think on the last Especially. record, on the last record, not so much. I think well, that's because we have some new blood in the band. And <laughs> well, it's not even that. We're just, you know, I think we're just evolving, going, you know, and... You have to. You go in a different direction. There's, you know, things happen to what Black Market Hero was was ten years ago, pretty much now. Yeah. yeah. You know, so and Fire Zero Gravity is five years old now. So I mean, um, we got it out of our system. <laughs> you know, now we're we're doing different stuff. I mean, it's it's still heavy, but it's different. Right. Right. So after Black Market Hero ended, you guys both joined with Daggers Run. How did you meet those dudes? I've known them. I recorded a demo for them like back at 06. And I always thought there was a lot of talent in that band. And um, they called me up and they said, you know, we're thinking about getting rid of our singer Jay. Uh, would you be interested in singing for him? And I was like, you know what? You know, you guys are talented. I, you know, I, I liked the stuff that I recorded for you guys back in the day. You know, I'm sure your new stuff's probably really good. Um, and it was different. It was, you know, they were, you know, more of a technical kind of band. Um, so I said, this might be interesting and fun. So I said, sure, but if I do it, um, are you guys still looking for a second, like, rhythm guitar player? And they're like, yeah. I was like, all right, I'll bring Joey with me. That's basically what it was. And then when we got in the band, in the beginning it was pretty good because, like, in the beginning, like, it was, you know, a compromise because they wanted to do this, like, animals as leaders protest the hero, like, you know, crazy prog, you know, advanced stuff, and, and truth is, it's like, you guys aren't that, that's not what you guys are really good at, you guys are, yeah, you guys are more of a, should be more of a song-oriented band that has, you know, some elements of progressive music, not a prog band full-on, you know, you're not virtuoso musicians like those guys, you're good, you're talented musicians, but those bands are like virtuosos, you're not that. Okay. Try to play a little, you know, stuff a little simpler, a little more song oriented. And in the beginning, it was cool because they, you know, they seemed to listen to our input, and um, 
we you know came up with some interesting stuff but as time is progressing and we were writing newer and more songs they became more of a struggle so mm. we just had to part ways okay so that sort of answers my next question which was did you guys leak because near the tail end of that uh, when you guys were in Daggers you had announced also that you were going to be doing a new 40 record so mm-hmm. I was wondering if, if you had sort of left to focus more on 40 but you kind of already answered well, we, we were going to do it anyway because we did that 2010 show yeah with, God with the original 40 Willow Summer lineup and did Daggers play that show? Yes. Yeah, Daggers did play that show. And after that show, me and Max were like, wow, that was really fun. Like, maybe we should do a 40 record. Like, you know, we were seriously considering it. And then just the fact that it wasn't working out with those guys, and they felt the same way we did. Yeah, but the thing is, is we stayed in that band for, for like a year and a half after that. We did. Which kind of put off doing the 40 stuff, but Max had already begun writing. Yeah, I started almost writing. I started almost right after that show writing songs. You know, for 40. You know, because with Daggers, it's like I'd write maybe a song or parts here, but you know. I wrote nothing. None of the stuff I wrote was technical enough. I wrote nothing for that. Or or weird and proggy (laughs) enough for, for, you know, Tommy, you know, the other guitar player who's the main main riff writer in that band. You know, he wanted everything to be like, you know, like math metal, like video game music. Super talented kid, though. Oh, extremely talented. Tommy is like a party alien. (laughs) <laughs> now, would you guys ever consider, I mean, again, as I said before, 40 is your focus, obviously, but if they wanted to, like, play a couple shows, would you guys entertain that idea? Or, Who? With daggers. I, right? I wouldn't be able to. No? <laughs> I would need to practice for, like, six months <laughs> to get my chops up. That shit was fucking hard, dude. For me, especially. I had to practice, like, no, every just fucking day. Every day I had to practice. Otherwise, you know, I'd go to shows and fuck up. That shit was hard. I mean, what's the point? The band never really had much of a following, you know? Okay. Um, well, we see their drummer all the time because his band, Perlia, yeah. rehearses right, right next door to us. Greg. And we fucking love Greg. And he's the man, and his band is awesome. Yeah, I've seen him occasionally when I was plug in there for you. When I was working at the uh, the Panera in Ramsey, apparently that's like right down the road from where he lives. So yeah. he would come in oh, and yeah. occasionally get food. Greg's a man. I love Greg. Um, yeah, Greg's a good kid. So. Uh, when you guys put 40 back together, you did Fire at Zero Gravity. You guys recorded that with only three members, right? Yep. Um, now, why did that happen? Well, we had started writing with our original drummer, Carlos. And I could tell right from the beginning that it wasn't going to work. His head was still in another place. He wasn't ready to come back to... He still wanted to write like... Pop, he, he wasn't pop, ready to come back rock. to 40 Below Summerland. And, and being, especially the fact that me and Max were like, no, we're going to push this heavy this time. We want to go harder. It turned him off even more. It just wasn't working. So he admirably stepped aside and said, this is just not working for me. And I said, no, you're right. It's not going to work. And he said, okay, that's it. You know, me being a drummer, I kind of saw like my golden opportunity (laughs) to have a little fun. Right. Yeah. Because you recorded the drums on that album. So I jumped on it right away. I was like, okay, I'm going to play drums. And then Jordan was just like, cool, I'll play bass. Because he's well, a no, great, he wasn't like I'll play bass. First, a, Hector was supposed to come. Yeah, and he true. kept pushing it back and pushing it back, true. And pushing it back and pushing it back and pushing it back. And finally, I was done with my vocals. Like, and Hector said, "Bro, give me another week." We, we no. did give him every opportunity to. We get can't give you here. any more time. That's it. Like, we have a deadline. The album's coming out this date. We have to have it done by this date. We can't give you another week because. Like, the bass needs to be done by next week so we can start mixing. Right. 
no ifs, ands, or buts. Bro, just just another week. Nope. We're gonna start base tomorrow. <laughs> Why is he Thank talking? You. He doesn't sound like that. Yes, he does. <laughs> Bro, just well, anyway, Jordan you. is a great bass player. Yeah, so he really is. Me and him played in a band before Forty Below Summer, where I was a drummer, he was a bass player. Played with these two crazy fucking guys that played guitar, and it was a lot of fun. So it was like. For me and him, especially, it was like, ah, you know, we work well together with the bass and the drums. Right. So I can do it. And he did it. That's it. Okay. So the next the next record was Transmission Infrared. Now, what made you guys decide to cover Justin Timberlake? Because <laughs> so, it turned out awesome. I was just wondering. I thought it would be a cool song. I came in one day, and I was like, we should cover this. And for once, everybody was like, yeah. Usually, whenever anyone brings up a cover song, there's always one or two people that are like, No. <laughs> this is the first time I brought in a cover. Second time I brought in a cover song, and everybody was like, "Yeah." All right, fair enough. It was fun. So through all these projects that I've mentioned, you guys have always been in them. Um, so all these years, you guys have been working together. Is it safe to say that you guys have good chemistry? Or obviously, no, I hate him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> of course, yeah. Uh, no, I, I stayed with him all these years. We're, <laughs> we're cut from a very similar cloth. You know, our fathers were both professional studio and touring guitar players. This is kind of what we were born to do, you know. Okay. So we do have a lot of similarities. Our fathers actually know each other. They they came across each other in sessions, you know, like in the 70s and the 80s. This is funny. When we met and we we were telling our dads about it, his dad was like, I know Carmine. And my dad was like, oh, shit, I know Keith. Like, this is fucking, all right, this is is kind of like supposed to happen. Okay. Um, so in the the very early days of the band, like the Sideshow Freaks, um, you guys were more of like a rap rock or new metal band, um, but you don't really play that anymore. No. Um, and fans still call for that at every show. Uh, yeah. The last time that you guys played here, there was a girl the whole time say, screaming, I'm still bleeding, which then <laughs> led to get a tampon eventually, Max, you said. Yeah, yeah, the whole show. I'm still oh. bleeding, and then you're like, get a tampon, He's get a tampon. I and uh, so, does it bother you that fans still want, like, still yell out that, that really old shit? It doesn't bother me, but, you know, I, I got a little fun with it, but we're not going to play those songs. Right. You know, especially those, you know, aside from stepping to the side show, which we pretty much have to play. Um, yeah, and I was at a show where you guys played that twice. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say we always play Step of the Slide. Yeah, yeah. It's not one show we've ever done in our fucking career that we did not play that song. Right. That's about as rap metally as you get. Yeah. Relapse. Um, it's the only self-medicate. It's, it's the only rap metal song that, girl is that, that will still be. <laughs> right. I was gonna. On, on many occasions, you've said that you don't you don't play those anymore, and you've you've given a couple different reasons. You you've said that because the new guys in the band don't know them, but at a particular show at Dingbats, uh, Max. You said, we're a metal band, we don't rap anymore. I'm half Jewish and half black. If you want me to rap, I'll release a solo album and call it Hebrew. So when can we expect that? That's, that was a joke. I, 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 I know that was a joke. I'm trying to... That would be awesome if you had, like, the pass hanging off. I'm not going to do it. You know, no. like, the, 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 the Hasidic the garb on. Oh, my God. Hebrew. Oh, my God. With the money. dreads. You make a lot of money. That's what's important. All right. Look at Manas Yahoo. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say that. <laughs> um, so, 
I, I ask every band that's been on the show this question, and, and you guys are no different. What do you guys think of the current state of the industry, where people think it's okay to steal music or or do these streaming services because bands make all their money at the shows? That was my answer. <laughs> <laughs> all right then. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I, the music industry is something you know, really does. Just you know, a lot of cookie cutter bullshit. Um, nobody really, very rarely sounds original anymore. Uh, on top of that, um, you know, record labels now have found new ways to screw bands over and through through streaming. Basically, the streaming companies and the record labels make all sorts of money and. Uh, the bands who get millions and millions of streams sometimes gets like 11 cents. It's just ridiculous, you know? So they don't make money off of record sales anymore, but now all these motherfuckers are getting rich fucking through streaming. Right. What's up, Dave? It's fucking bullshit. So speaking of shows, um, you guys have mentioned it's been, it's come up online a few times. Um, uh, you know that you guys might go on tour with Megadeth. Is that still? Is that something you can talk about? Is that still gonna no, I don't happen? Even know. I don't even know. Have you met our bass player? Derek? I don't even know. First off, that stuff should be online um, because you know Sorry. at the very most it was ever was was speculative. Um, and uh, you know, as far as us touring with Megadeth, I mean, could it possibly happen? Sure. Anything's possible. Is anything like really in the works right now? No. no. Okay. Fair enough. I could uh, finish that. Yeah, yeah, I was say, Derek, that. you want to chime in on this one? Mr. Derek. Uh, take a piss. What happened with that tour was in the middle of it. Um, the Scorpions are doing their farewell tour, and um, you know. Mustaine, being a f big fan of the Scorpions, really wanted to see them go out on a high note, and uh, basically is you know the support act for them. Right. But you know it's like they're getting all the you know they're playing the Garden and it's like Megadeth, but the Scorpions are above them. But you know, and he was like, oh, it's going to be cool to open up for it. So it kind of cut into the tour that you know he talked about us doing, and you know that then. You know, as long as we, uh, you know, keep moving forward, you know, they're talking about doing Gigantor next year, so if nothing happens this year, we can't swing it, um, then we'll do that. Oh, all right. So, you guys mentioned online that tonight you're shooting a video. What what song is the video I, for? Yeah, it's like, I guess it's for She is the Atmosphere, but we're not even playing it tonight, so... I don't know how that's okay. I just wasn't sure. I wanted to just, uh, we're almost done. We're kind of, uh, the way we looked at it, thanks to our friend Lori, was that, uh, hi, Lori. We hi. could do this, uh, kind of cost effective. You know, she can do some, like, you know, footage of the shows, and then, you know, instead of doing, like, a, a lazy, like, lyric video, we can make something, you know, pretty cool for, you know, having some stock footage and, you know, us moving around. I'm having a real stomach problems. Um, just two more questions. Uh, Max, as far as I can tell, you're 
at least at some point you were a wrestling fan. Have you guys ever tried to get your music? You mentioned Stone Cold in one of your old, one of your old songs. Uh, when I was a kid. Yeah. So I mean, have you guys ever tried to get like a get in with WWE as far as putting a song in like a pay per view or something? Um, so you guys have this, this big show scheduled in October with El Nino and, uh, but what else, what other than that, uh, you know, other than other shows, like what's next? Are you guys recording anything? Are you well, going to, no, we're still in the early stages of writing. <laughs> we're still in the early stages of writing. We're not, you know, anywhere near the recording process. Were you guys still, I'd, I'd heard buzz a while back of maybe doing like an EP of covers? Are you guys still planning to do that? Uh, that's still kind of up in the air. I mean, right now we're just working on new material, not um, covers. Okay. So, I mean, that's where we are right now. We've got this, this other show with El Nino coming up soon. Um, that's pretty much going to close it out for the year. We may squeeze in another weekend or, ship or, or so, but other than that, we're just going to, I think, more focus on trying to write new material. All right. That's pretty much it. All right. Well, I thank you guys very much for the time.
All right, and from the album Fire at Zero Gravity, that was Bottom Feeder by 40 Below Summer. I want to thank Max and Joey for being on the show, and uh, also their bassist Derek for answering that question about uh, <clears throat> the Megadeth tour. Uh, I hope to have Derek on a future episode just to uh, discuss not just uh, his time in 40 over the last few years as their as their uh, most recent bass player, but he, he does... Uh, uh, he does some other stuff. He works at a works at a studio. He's been in some other bands, and so I'd, I'd really like to get Derek on the show to, uh, you know, share, talk about what what he's done uh, over the years. Um, now uh, I got something really cool for you guys uh, with this episode. Um, I have a uh, 40 Below Summer T-shirt, size extra large. Uh, those of you that may have met me in person or seen me online uh, you know I'm a little bit larger than that so that that shirt doesn't fit me so uh, I'm going to do a giveaway on the J Bunny's Music Hub Facebook page uh to give away that shirt I'm going to put the rules on the on the page but basically you need to uh be a fan of the page and uh you'll also need to comment on and share the post that I'm going to put up regarding the giveaway and um I'm going to let this run, I don't know, maybe a week or two. Maybe I'm going to do a week from the the date of this episode posting. Um, and after that week is up, I will see who followed the rules correctly for the, uh, for the contest. And uh, I will announce a winner. Uh, the winner will be announced on the Facebook page. So uh, keep an eye on that post. And also keep an eye on your... Uh, message requests folder on Facebook um, because I will be sending an email through Facebook or a message through Facebook to the winner and if we're not friends on Facebook uh, you won't see the message in your regular messages you'll see it in this message requests which a lot of people don't even know that this folder exists or or ignore it completely but uh, keep an eye out if you want the shirt like I said it is a size extra large Um, so as always, guys, make sure that uh, you follow the J Bunny Music Hub Facebook page. Uh, you can join the J Bunny Music Hub group on Facebook. You just search J Bunny Music Hub on Facebook, and both of those should pop up. You can also follow us at J Bunny Music Hub on Twitter. I have the account. I still haven't uh, tweeted anything from it, but uh, maybe with the posting of this episode, I will post my first tweet. Follow Industry Embers at Industry Embers on Facebook and on Twitter. And make sure to add the hashtag buy music or it's buy music to any posts regarding uh, new music that you've purchased. Uh, also, don't forget that this podcast is now part of the Club Kayfabe Creative community. So you can find us on on Facebook also, Club Kayfabe Creative Community, and the website uh, ckcconline.com. And... Um, I think that's it. I think I got all the uh, social media plugs in there. Maybe I forgot something. Maybe I didn't, but I think it's all good. Oh, also, don't forget, and I should have been doing this with the other episodes, don't forget to follow 40 Below Summer on Facebook and on Twitter to see what they're up to. Uh, as we mentioned, they've got the, a big show coming up in Jersey at Starland Ballroom with uh, in October with El Nino and Head PE, I believe, is on that show. And I think Dope is on that show also, so it's going to be a pretty dope show. I don't mind the, the joke there. Um, so to close us out today, uh, our second song is going to be Snake Charmer by 40 Below Summer 
from their most recent album, which uh, was called Transmission Infrared. And uh, I was one of the... They, they, they ran a um, GoFundMe campaign to raise the money to, to record that album. And uh, I was one of the backers for that album. So you can find my name, if you know my real name, which I'll, I'll tell you, my real name is Jason Shin. For those of you that don't know, uh, if you buy the CD, you can actually find my name in the CD in the thanks. Uh, they thanked uh, any any of the backers of the crowdfund that did a certain a certain amount or above. So till next time, guys. Uh, like I said, this is Forty Below Summer with Snake Charmer.